I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And welcome everybody to Spoiler Alert 44, the high-tech Spoiler Alert. That's right. I'm Duncan, and my favourite computer game is still 1984's School Days, where you were a naughty schoolboy who would um, have to get away with things like vandalising and causing trouble without being caught. And if you did, you got like lines of detention. You had to do lines. And if you got the more lines you got, if you got too many, you got expelled. Um, good times. Right, I've never played that. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like life. <laughs> Um, I'm Simon, and when I was a kid, my favourite artificial intelligence was Rem, the android from Logan's Run. Uh, the TV series, by the way, not the movie. I remember going to school with a circuit board stuffed down my top so I could lift up my shirt and show my teachers that I was, in fact, a cyborg. <laughs> I thought I was pretty cool. You should do that with your employers now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was cute then. No, I don't think it'd be cute now. Would you call yourself Simon Borg? Cyborg. Cyborg, like S-I? Cy- yeah, 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 Borg. yeah. Like in that annoying way um, Genesis is spelled in the new Terminator film. Yeah. yeah. So, Simon, what have you been watching? Okay, I've got to skim through a couple of titles <laughs> because then I'm just going to tear into a couple. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Oblivion, the Tom Cruise sci-fi oh, right. film that looks amazing but makes zero sense. Cool. Just no sense. and gets worse as it goes along as far as, you know, logic. Right. You know, for a while you go with it because it's like, oh, well, I'd be interested to see what happens and it's like, what the heck? <laughs> you know, it looks incredible though. Yep. I really love the look of that film. Uh, trance. Danny Boyle's Trance. Yeah, yep. sure. Twisty and stylish thriller of forgotten moments and false memories that um, I enjoyed a heck of a lot actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, long time listeners might remember my uh, painful experience watching Jungle Woman, the lazy 1944 eight woman movie uh, that was a sequel to the pretty horrid Captive Wild Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that disappointed me more than the terribleness of this film was the fact that I desperately sorted out in the first place, which was disappointing in myself, I think. And the only thing more disappointing than all of that was the fact that I couldn't find a copy of The Jungle Captive, <laughs> uh, the critically derided third and final chapter in the series. Well, folks, good news. <laughs> I have now found and watched a ropey copy of The Jungle Captive and can tell you that it was pretty dire as well. Okay. Yeah. The eight woman of the title is sidelined and played by a different actress to boot, who has no dialogue. Uh, in favour of a lazy, mad scientist tale and a series of murders committed by an actor named named Rondo Hatton. Uh, Hatton suffered from a disfiguring illness that caused his face and hands to become swollen and misshapen and made him the perfect candidate as a, as a heavy for Universal's grubby B-unit, playing characters like the Brute and the Creeper. Uh, Hatton's life would be short, and there's little su- to suggest he would have made it as an actor if his ailment hadn't been so ruthlessly exploited uh, as a cinematic bad guy. But I'm glad that I finally got to see this hard done by a Hollywood heavy, even if it wasn't a rubbish film. Sounds like the Elephant Man. Yeah, he kind of was. He had a really like huge head and huge hands. He wasn't a big guy, and he mm-hmm. could not act. Right. Uh, but apparently he was just spotted by some talent scout. He's like, hey, you. Todd Browning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very much that sort of thing. And, you know, you'd look good strangling dudes. <laughs> so he spent about four or five films just strangling people. Right. You know. Save on makeup. Save on effects. Oh, yeah. It, it feels... Horrible, but you know, it would happen now, you know. Um, I think a hills have eyes and the guy in that, you know, True. yeah. Uh, and I saw a film called The Age of Adeline, oh. uh, the story of a woman who never ages, so goes through life changing identities. And uh, cue big sigh here, Duncan, avoiding love. I saw the trailer for this, yeah. This was a wretched experience, <laughs> wretched. Uh, from the opening voiceover narration, which has, I don't know why they have a voiceover narration. I'm not clear who's providing it either. It's one of those films that has like a voice oh. and you think, oh, I wonder who that's going to be in the story as it unfolds. No one. Um, <laughs> to its trickly Das Ex Machina ending, I hated this movie. <laughs> Blake Lively stars and she looks a million dollars, the sort of woman the film loves to look at as she walks into frame in a su- succession of immaculately tailored outfits. But she can't carry this insipid mess. Particularly not when she's going through the motions and falling in love with the kind of beau who exists only in the minds of screenwriters who concoct this sort of drivel. He's manly in that he is renovating his own loft apartment. Oh, that's always good. Yeah. Brilliant in that he's already a retired millionaire. That's handy. Uh, yeah. Due to, due to, you know, computers or something or some sort of software, something or an app or whatever. It doesn't matter. And he's noble in that he now spends all his time devoted to his charities. You know, I kid you not, at one point he waves around a document with the words, 
rainforest, just printed <laughs> on the front, you know, as a like, he's a good guy. He's yeah. saying the right, yeah. <sighs> well, I'm, I'm glad that we're still worried about the rainforest. This feels like such oh. an 80s thing, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, rainforest, but he's also doing like his artistic sort, sort of, you know, preservation. So you know that he's got a, you know, a soul, a, you know, a tortured artist soul somewhere in there yeah. as well. And yet he also manages to come across as kind of a creepy stalker, which is weird, you know? If, like when he's pursuing her at the top, it's really weird. Um, Harrison Ford pops up halfway through and kind of the king of all unlikely plot twists. But it's a plot twist so unlikely that you'll actually pick it coming a mile away because it seems like the sort of thing this film would do. Yeah. You know? Um, it's just that sort of film. And Ford is actually really good in this. Uh, he's really committed to his character and delivering this quite sweet, heartfelt monologue to his wife that's tarnished only by the fact that the storyline is terrible. The storyline is ridiculous, and the film around it is also just horrid. Um, I was struck by the fact that The Age of Adeline is actually kind of the Highlander for the romantic set because it's the same plot. You know, this woman who can't yeah. age has to go through life creating these new identities. And like The Highlander, could really do with the Kurgan popping up from time to time to hack off some heads. <laughs> that would have made it a better viewing experience. Yeah, brilliant. Just the ending. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Oh, look, I went, I went to see this with Tony, mm-hmm. and so we had free tickets. Um, and I was sitting there the whole time thinking, I'm hating this, but I'm probably enjoying it. And at the end of it, she looked at me and goes, well, that was awful. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm really proud of her for that. You That's know, great. Good taste showing, you know. <laughs> and what about you? What have you been watching? Uh, I saw Prince of the City, which is uh, Sidney LeMay's often forgotten 1981 slow burner about the leader of a group of corrupt super cops who turns against his own team. Uh, Treat Williams is on career best form. Uh, the conflict he feels is at the heart of the film, like watching a man being tortured by his own conscience for two hours. There's great production design with really subtle colour schemes and it's coldly captured, you know, the cinematography. Almost recalls Gordon Willis's iconic Godfather work. But it's a fantastic film. And Treat Williams is, is, is a revelation in it. Like he, right, right. you watch it and you go, How did you not become just a huge yeah. star? Like if if someone we talk about modern actors nowadays who yeah. you know kind of stumble into franchises and stuff but yeah. you know if a modern star delivered something like like if ryan reynolds or channing tatum did, delivered something like that yeah. you'd be going wow that's like you know taking you to another level taking you to oscar right. level kind of thing really good um i saw good vibrations like 24-hour party people without the rampant egomania the story of one man's attempt to bring to the masses uh during 1970s belfast the burgeoning punk scene it has a charming central performance from richard dormer with a hint of real danger around every corner as punk rock emerges from the fearsome shadow of the war-torn city. Uh, and there's a scene where a song that he produced, which is Undertones Teenage Kicks, which was John Peel, legendary DJ's favourite song ever. The only time he ever did it, where he played the song back-to-back. He played it and then put, put, put it on again. And he did it once, and it was this one song that these guys produced basically in the garage. Right. And so, yeah, that's a really, really charming moment. I saw Out of the Furnace which is a very strong cast for a pretty simple revenge film. Christian Bale stars an ex-con out to avenge his marine brother, played by Casey Affleck's death at the hands of Woody Harrelson's vicious criminal. Throw in Sam Shepard, Boris Whitaker, and Willem Dafoe, and you've got a bubbling cauldron of testosterone soup waiting to boil over into violence. Manhood there, right? That is just intimidating. You imagine walking on that set. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll all be screaming at cinematographers. Everyone have their cam- you know, camera phones out. Um, but it's just such a simple film. I'm like, how did you get all these people? Yeah, it's such yeah, right. a straightforward. You're kind of waiting for it to be something different. I remember when the trailer came out. This happens a lot. You see a trailer, and you think, oh, it's a great looking trailer. I wonder. And then the film never does arrive. Yeah. And then you know, maybe you see it at the video store and think, oh, right, yeah, it, it creeped out. And uh, I saw Twenty Feet from Stardom, which is all about the uh, backup singers, like backup singers throughout the the, the years, ones who had sung. Give Me Shelter, you know, like the female vocal parts yep. of Give Me Shelter. But there's like Mick Jagger and Bruce Springsteen and people like that, and they're talking about backup singers and they're saying like how in, in actual feat it's not that far, but that actual leap to be going from yep. backup singer to becoming a star is, you know, it's almost impossible. Um, and it's, it's really good. It's kind of heartbreaking as well because you see these people who are just insanely talented and you're like, it just didn't work their way, you know? Yep. Just the breaks didn't go their way. I also saw... Deliver us from evil. Oh, um, yeah, I know the one. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, keep going. it's just a bunch of cliches mashed together from almost any demonic possession movie you care to name. Exorcist, we've got the foul-mouthed scarred girl. Conjuring, all the scary toys and home invasion you want. Been a while since you've seen End of Days and you've got a hankering for SWAT teams busting down doors? Check. 
Maybe the other demonic film starring Gabriel Byrne, Stigmata. We've got a sexy renegade Jesuit priest for you. Enjoyed the creepy refrain of the Rolling Stones' Time is on my side, sung by the possessed and fallen. Have a listen to the doors break on through, repeated by the demon's vessel. Like your horror from Amityville? This is based on real events too. Uh, throw in some first-person video footage, family imperil subplot, doubting Thomas' central character, and what you have is not so much a feature film as a YouTube montage of every satanic film released in the last 40 years. Wow. <laughs> is that Eric Barner? It's Eric Barner, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's got Joel McHale from uh, The Soup and Community. You're kidding. He's in it, and he plays his partner, and he's this pumped-up, like, um, adrenaline junkie who's just, like, amazing with knives and just wants to hurt people. That doesn't sound likely at all. <laughs> no. Eric Barner, man, I really like him, but boy, boy, yeah. he's got you know, there's a lot to atone for in his career, right? Exactly, and he's... Good. He's always good. And that was something when I watched it, I was like, you're watchable in yeah. virtually anything. Um, but this is just a, a mess of a film. of, and, and it made a lot of money. Really? Yeah. It made. I didn't know that. Compared to its box office. Compared to its, its box budget. office. Compared to its budget. It made a Oh, made, okay. Because, I mean, it never even came onto my radar. Like, I was aware of it. I saw the trailer. I knew it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now it is the end. Take the princess and the Wookiee to my ship. You said they'd be left in the city under my supervision. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. And so, Simon, what's the news? Well, the Sony email leak, which obviously a criminal act, is also awesomely, awesomely entertaining. Uh, this month, turning up one of my favourite things, an email from an MTV executive pitching some painfully hip ideas on how to re recalibrate? Mm -hmm. Recalibrate Spider-Man. Or, as I read it, completely butcher a beloved character. Uh, I could try to say funny things about the ridiculously try-hard suggestions he fired off, but nothing could be funnier than just reading verbatim from his rando thoughts, uh, as he called them, from the email. So here goes. A rising trend we see with millennials are the really extreme forms of experiential exercise like Tough Mudder, The Colour Run, even things like Hot Power, Yoga, Veganism, etc., Millennials will often post NBD on their social media after doing it as in No Big Deal, also known as the humble brag, wondering if Spidey could get into that in some way. <laughs> uh, EDM, electronic dance music. He actually says it afterwards in case I guess the execs, you know, yeah. say them looking it up. Um, it's the defining music for millennials. Wondering if there's an EDM angle somewhere with Spidey would be awesome with a killer DJ behind it. <laughs> awesome stuff indeed, uh, which the Sony execs, bless them, every one of them, chose to ignore. EDM. That's what electronic EDM. dance music. Is that what the kids are into? Uh, yeah, apparently. Haven't the kids yeah. been into that since like the eighties? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hot power yoga would really make Spider Man yeah, franchise work, right. I think. Vegan Spider Man. Yeah. Vegan Spider Man doing this hot power yoga. Hashtag, hum just, hashtag humble brag. Hashtag humble brag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh just caught the Green Goblin. Hashtag humble brag. Just, yeah. Yeah. Maybe he can post the pictures. You know that he takes, as Peter Parker, he takes the pictures of Spider-Man. He could have like a website. Yeah, just MBD. MBD. Uh, Star Wars update. And Jared Trank has managed to get himself kicked off two of the biggest directing jobs going around. As Lucasfilm were alerted to his, quote, erratic behavior on the yeah. Fantastic Four set and promptly fired him from their Star Wars spinoff. Uh, it seems a shame that a guy with so much ability and enough promise to be directing massive blockbusters of this nature can melt down so spectacularly. He's only about 30 years old, and he did Chronicle, if I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. Chronicle, which is a really good film, mm -hmm. by the way. Did a great job on it, I thought. Yeah. Seems a shame, because it, it, it doesn't sound like he's gone... Uh, it, it sounds like he's very insular, and he wouldn't talk to people. Not like yeah. it was a reverse of a Christian Bale. It was kind of... Yeah, it, yeah. And indecisive. The whole, whole story about him um, having dogs in his apartment that trashed the apartment or something. Yeah. It was really strange, and I think maybe he was just intimidated by this massive scale of what he was working on. Yeah. Um, by the way, the Fantastic Four trailer looks cool. And, and new pictures are flooding um, out of the Force Awakens publicity machine, uh, along with identities of the characters played by Adam Driver, Lupita Nyong'o, and Gwendolyn Christie. And as well as the fan-favorite Boba Fett receiving his own movie, uh, which on the surface is a great idea, uh, but as Attack of the Clones illustrated, stripping away the character's enigma may not give the best result. Yeah, I kind of worry about that one, actually. Yeah. That, that's, that's the... Announcement I feel most concerned about. I just don't think he's a character we need to explore anymore. No, he's supposed to be cool. He's supposed to be off to the side. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, but I had the action figure. And they released the action figure before Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Because there were hints about that character. We knew yeah. about him. We didn't know anything about him. We just knew he had, like, this, I don't know, rocket pack or something. Yeah. And, you know, it's cool helmet. Yeah. And that, uh, like you say, that 
enigmatic quality is what made him awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously the reason that he's the coolest is because his actual debut was in the Star Wars Christmas special. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, and quite right. The Avengers Age of Ultron press tour has, uh, well, it's not really gone all that well, has it? Right. Uh, I can't blame Robert Downey Jr. for walking out of an interviewer who just wanted to chat about his past drug issues. Um, that didn't seem fair to a man who had dealt with his demons some time ago. Mm. But Chris Evans and Jeremy Renner deserved everything they got after jokingly referring to Scarlett Johansson's character, the Black Widow, as a slut and a whore. Oh, yeah. ah, they apologised later, as they should. The superhero genre is one that hasn't been kind to its female characters. Black Widow has been the one shining exception, a strong... Uh, I felt well-developed and often well-written character, but let's face it, one that's not going to get her own film anytime soon. Mm. Uh, and that's a bit sad. But sadder when her co-stars further demean the one pretty positive feminine note in the whole macho, you know, MCU universe, even if they were just trying to be funny. Mm. You know, I just felt it was off. It's a bit more misguided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see Josh Whedon's gone off Twitter, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's so of me, by the way, but nobody, yeah, nobody, nobody writes noticed. an article about yeah. that. <laughs> it, did, it, did, doesn't go, it doesn't, doesn't make show up news. on the Herald. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the horror film Deliver Us From Evil, um, the documentarian Amy Berg is famous for the harrowing and infinitely scarier Deliver Us From Evil film, the documentary, that investigated the cover-up of one Catholic priest's rampant sex crimes in the US. And she also made West of Memphis. But now she has another incendiary film on the way, An Open Secret which focuses on allegations of the sexual abuse of teenagers in the American film industry. The trailer implies it may go after specific targets like agents and producers, but also hints at the implicit cover-ups by studios and appearing after documentaries about Polanski and revelations of Bill Cosby, not to mention the kind of continual speculation around ingenue parties often held by people with enormous power in the film industry. Uh, it appears as if Hollywood may have a spotlight turned on its darker side, and I, I wonder if it will be up for Best Documentary... Yeah. The Oscars. Sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's a really good trailer. And it's just saying how clearly vulnerable the kids are. And I mean, I know all, yeah. all children are, but it's the, the fact that they're actors, it's almost, it, it goes another step because it's it's this ambition. These these people have enormous power over over them and it's quite scary. <laughs> so the trailer's really good. So if you get yeah. a chance to see that, an open secret, it looks right. really, well really interesting. James McAvoy, who I adored in this month's, Trance is teaming up with Daniel Radcliffe and Chronicle Scribe, keeping that one rolling, yeah. Max Landis, to make a new version of Frankenstein with a twist. But hey, that twist isn't that it's set in the future or that the monster is named Adam and has to fight a gargoyle army, nor is it part of the Universal Cinematic Universe that is quite quietly going ahead just to spite me, I expect. The twist this time around is that the story is focused more on Victor and Igor. Um, I'm excited about this. The few set pictures I've seen suggest lots of gothic trappings. And I like all the talent involved. And, of course, I love Frankenstein. Uh, it's one of the great horror tales. And I, I'm pretty excited to see what they um, end up doing with it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. That's a good idea. Well, so it's not going into the expanded universe, or it is? Or no, it? no, no. This is its own separate beast. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> expanded universe. God. Got to stop. That's fantastic. Really, really nice. You know what make this perfect now? Michael Bublé. A bit of Bublé. Do you like Bublé? Where do you stand on Michael Bublé? Was and now we're on to No Comps, uh, the part where we go out and watch a latest release. And this month we saw Avengers Age of Ultron, directed by Joss Whedon and starring every actor who has ever lived. Mm. While chasing everyone's favourite MacGuffin, Loki's magic sceptery thingy, Tony Stark and Bruce Banner accidentally kind of create an uber-powerful sentient killbot with about to destroy the world. Uh, with the team once more at odds with each other, Mostly due to a new character, the Scarlet Witch, and her use of freaky mind control, will they be able to assemble again to defeat Ultron and his horde of faceless CGI robots? Well, look, wisely, the Hulk and Black Widow, I thought, were given decent screen time in this. Sure. And uh, for two reasons. One, Ruffalo, as we said, we're both big Mark Ruffalo fans. He's a really empathetic actor. And secondly, as you were just mentioning before, Black Widow is perhaps the most interesting character, and Whedon seems to agree, yep. focusing on her more in both Avengers outings. However, he also feels a need to humanise her, whereas she's quite cool and threatening in Captain America Winter Soldier. Here, every scene she has is kind of like a release of emotion. Just not sure if that's the best way to deal with her character. Yeah. Uh, kind of teary backstory tinged with tragedy and carnal desires for the Hulk. And maybe a softening of the character I didn't want. The emotional parts of the film, are, I kind of felt almost unwelcome <laughs> to yeah. me. Yeah. 
because they are retreads of journeys. You know, Bruce Banner doesn't like getting angry. Uh, Tony Stark is handicapped by hubris. Thor is, I don't really know what Thor is doing. He's doing. Film. No. But <laughs> when you have six central characters, five sidekicks from other installments, do you really need to add in three new superheroes as well as Hawkeye's wife, an African arms dealer, a Korean scientist? At least the film has the chutzpah to kill off one of its cast even if it is the most predictably disposable so that it adds a little weight to the proceedings. One of the things I loved about the first Avengers film was it did such a great job of balancing the needs of a host of characters. And this one isn't so even-handed. Uh, Hawkeye, the most unlikely Avenger, gets more time. And I appreciate the fact that they address his mortality when surrounded by like mutants and gods. You know, yeah. uh, His line about how ridiculous it is that they're fighting a robot army and here's a bow and arrow is actually one of the best lines in the film. And Black Widow, you know, that whore... Um, she does get a decent storyline with the Bruce Banner, whether it's welcome or not. I, I um, really hope that people just didn't skip to this chapter. Yeah, so no, no, got no, some no. Context of why There you is some that. context. It's a joke. I'm not calling. <laughs> uh, look, but other characters do feel as well. Captain America gets a recurring gag about his language, I think, just so that he's got something to do. Uh, but little else besides being angry with Stark, again. And poor Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's pure comic relief. There's little besides jokes. And Hemsworth is great at the jokes, I think. Yeah. He's, he's really natural. And smashing things with his hammer. Um, I have no no idea whatsoever's going on when he visits some sort of dream pool. Yeah, that um, was real. I just... It's a, it's a weird little side quest. And I read something just today, actually, where Whedon came out and said that he was made to put that in. And he did, right. he wanted to drop it out. But basically, um, the heads at Marvel were like, yeah, you take that out and then you lose the farmhouse scene, which apparently Whedon was big on the farmhouse scene. Yeah, so it was sure. Really, you know... And maybe lose some of your dream sequences. Yeah. And he was like, well, I better have the dream pool in there as well. But the dream pool makes no sense. No. I've no idea what's happening. No, neither do I. I like that moment that um, that you mentioned, but it, with Hawkeye saying that line. But I just kind of felt that it was self-referential to the point of me thinking, if you're not going to take this seriously, then why the hell should I? Yeah, it's a problem, eh? Yeah. And, and the most you know, the most obvious line is, is that moment when Hawkeye says that to Olsen's character. I can actually remember Elizabeth Olsen's character. But all I thought was, you've only really included this mini dilemma for her so that Hawkeye can say that line. That's what I felt in that right. moment. And and her cowering of fear, not wanting to fight, I just found completely at odds with literally all her behavior up until that scene. Right. Like, because she had taken on the Avengers and soldiers and arms dealers without so much as kind of an ounce of self-doubt. And she was only like over awed by the situation and right, I didn't right. necessarily buy that like if they kind of kept her out of the conflict beforehand uh, particularly their arms dealer fight she was front and center you know like zipping around all yep. around there taking it like taking on and taking over all of the all of them yeah yeah also is it a bit lazy that um, mind control is the device that kicks off both avengers films now yeah yeah it's exactly. like uh through and in fact the fact that we have to have these characters motivated by the fact that somebody's messing with their mind yeah it seems a bit weak to me i mean stark uh, basically creates Ultron because Scarlet Witch has put thoughts in his head. Shouldn't yeah. wouldn't it have been a stronger dramatically if he created Ultron because he truly believed in it all the way through? Yeah, you know, rather yeah. than having somebody mess with him. Well, she made him see. The, uh, am I wrong in thinking she actually made him see the future and then he went ahead and did it anyway? But wouldn't it have been stronger dramatically if that had just been his yeah his exactly. way of realizing seeing the world basically? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, um, yeah. Look, when Richard Donner's, I'm I'm going off. Tangent a bit here, but that's what we do in Spoiler Alert. Do we? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I stick to a script. Hard and fast. I don't add a little bit all. Really? You should listen to more of the, your own podcast. <laughs> when Richard Donner's Superman took to the air in 1978, it did so with the tagline, you'll believe a man can fly. Leap forward 37 years, and you won't care that a man can fly. <laughs> uh, flying has just become just another commonplace trick in the new world of overgrown green rage monsters. It's flying cities, energy blasting mutants, and heat ray shooting cyborgs. Uh, I'm not going to rail against CG here. But I do wonder if we've reached the age of unspectacular spectacle. Mm. Um, the age of Ultron seldom manages to make a world of superheroes and supervillains into anything that feels particularly super. Mm. Uh, there are moments that look great. You know, there's this brief sequence when the team unite in a battle-worn church to fight an army of robots that looks painterly. You know, mm. it just looks beautiful. And fa- fans, I'm sure, will love the scene where Iron Man in his Hulkbuster suit battles the Hulk through a poor <laughs> that poor city, man, <laughs> through a poor African city. But the highlights, and to me. The highlights and what to me was overstuffed tidal wave and kind of meaningless effects, mm. you know. It's not helped, I think, too, by the fact that many will have seen that Hulk fight because they released it as a teaser. Right. You know, and to me that was probably the only effect sequence there that was 
something that you wouldn't have got from your first Avengers outing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But also, what's with the Hulkbuster armor? Um, does Duck build it just so that he could have a fight with the Hulk? Yeah. You know, why has he got it sitting around? That's a bit cynical, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and does he use it any other time? And if, if, if not, why not? It's cool. Yeah, it is he cool. He should have it and he should be wearing it more often than the regular Iron oh, Man armor. Yeah, because it doesn't seem to kind of, you know, hold him back too much either from no. sitting around, so... No, no, exactly. Yeah. You know, why doesn't he wear that armor all the time? Yeah. Although yeah. I think I think in the world of the Hulk, it's probably a good thing to have the foresight to might, maybe it that it might it might be best control. to have some Hulkbuster armor lying yeah, around just, just, in, just in case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure why he doesn't use it other times. <laughs> you know, I found that scene with Iron Man taking down the Hulk almost obligatory. Uh, it had to kind of happen. The finale is strong in places, but Ultron seems to get lost in a climax of his own making. Um, the idea he can escape through the internet fraught with logistical questions uh, and then the central mega theme of trying to enforce peace through control. Not only commonplace trope in technology movies, it's very specific to superhero fantasy movies, I thought. Mm. And thematically, this is something that is at the very core of Captain America, Winter Soldier and Iron Man 2. So it really is, we've seen this theme hammered again and again, yeah. just as we've seen Hulk gets angry, can't control himself. Tony Stark's arrogant. That's it's just the same thing. Yeah, mind Every, control magic. Mind control magic, and 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 I thought that um, you know, the film kind of comes to a grinding halt during certain scenes. The farmhouse R and R has you know a lot of exposition and running over familiar d- dynamics that that have run their course really. Like naturally, everyone has to have the individual turn informing Stark that he's an asshole. It just wouldn't be the Avengers without it. Yeah, and and you know, there's kind of like these ham-fisted one-liners about. Eugene O'Neill and reintroducing Prima Nocta, like, you know, kind of likely to go over the target audience's head. Right. Uh, yeah, and Tony Stark kind of felt more like a, a villain, uh, you know, like a cartoon kind of villain. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I'm not sure about Ultron as a villain either. I, I'm not going to say he's a letdown exactly, because he's got the voice of Jane Spader and dialogue by Joss Whedon, so that helps enormously. Mm. But he's not Loki either. And um, I think Hiddleston's Loki was so good that he, they had to port him over from the first Thor and they had to bring him back to the next Thor because... You know, he really caught on as a character, and he yeah. was an interesting villain. Um, fans dig him, and I think Ultron is more of a good idea for a villain rather than a great villain. Yeah. And I think part of that is um, he's just a big silver robot. Yeah. Do you know? It doesn't matter how syrupy his voice is. He just looks like a, you know, uh, a Cylon <laughs> yeah. or something, you know? He's not fascinating to watch. No. Um, and I think that hurts a little bit. And I think one of the issues with the with the whole cinematic universe, is that so much of these films can be like watching chess moves that may or not pay off down the track. Um, so I've heard objections to plot devices being countered with, well, that that's going to be dealt with in the Civil War. You know, and it's yeah. like, I shouldn't have to think about that when I'm watching a film now. I shouldn't have to be thinking, yeah. you know, or, oh, or like watch the Civil War storyline. It's like when people say, well, that's explained in the book. Or that's yeah. explained in the comic book. Uh, so it's like, well, I not re- I'm not reading the comic yeah, book. There's no the answer movie. for me. I mean, <laughs> I, I need to appreciate these films on their own terms. But that's clearly no longer how this franchise operates and how people watch these movies. I, I, maybe maybe the problem's with me, Duncan. Maybe it's me. It's, it's yeah. like, it's not enough that you've seen the Avengers. You need to have seen Captain America the Winter Soldier mm-hmm. as well. Otherwise, you'd be left wondering why this Falcon guy crops up. Yeah. Like, if you haven't seen that, then that makes no sense. And if, like me, you've never watched the Iron Man sequels, then you're going to be confused by the importance of Don Cheadle's character. Yeah. That made, I don't understand what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. And the, the beginning is, the beginning scene is kind of indication that I think finally Marvel Universe is collapsing under its own weight. The exposition required and the questions raised, as you say, they're almost parasitically carried over from solo films. And the film skates over all of the opening, all of these in the opening. You know, like, who is this villain? What are they after? Didn't they capture the stick in the first thing? You know, like, where are we? Oh, like, how do the Avengers assemble this? That thing, yeah. And it's not necessarily that I want answer for those questions. Is that these questions exist in the first place because of the extended expanded universe? Right. Yeah. And I haven't. Well, I, luckily, I've seen Captain America: Winter Soldier because it's a um, it, it's a good film. And, yeah, it is a good film, and, and it does have a lot of plot points that are brought up in this. And I watched it not that long ago, yep. but I haven't seen the Thor sequel. In fact, I started watching the Thor, Thor sequel and turned it off after twenty minutes. Wow. And I just went, I can't be bothered. Yeah. I was just like, I don't care. Right. And it had Loki, and I really like Loki, but I was just yeah. like, yeah. And I heard that they filmed Loki scenes for this, and they they deleted them. Oh, is that right? Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. That and apparently we just went. Oh, there was we had too much. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly that point, I was like, sure, you have every single character plus who had shown up in these. Yeah. Know, in all these life films, you don't have Loki. You don't have room for him. Yeah. Loki's That's a great amazing. character. Yeah. And one the fans love. So I can't believe. But my biggest issue is perhaps that Ultron goes through so many of the paces and and, and plot points of the first film. The team don't get on. They need to pull together. 
There's a villain who could destroy the world, cities are flattened, and this all, would all be fine if it didn't end in another protect the innocents from a vast army of bland, easily destroyed henchmen. Yeah. You know? Um, wave after wave of mini Ultron robots. And I've no idea where they all came from. I mean, yeah. how do they keep tuning them out? But anyway, a blown up, shot, Hulk smashed and clobbered by Captain America's shield with as little dramatic weight as confrontation from the first Avengers film. Mm. I mean, I loved, I really enjoyed the first Avengers film, but that ending, it didn't feel like there was much at stake there. Mm. And it doesn't here either. Um, I have to feel there was a better way, a bolder way to deliver a third act than, than the one they chose, which is essentially the third act from the last film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And I also think it's interesting with Quicksilver, isn't it? Because, of course, he's the character in X-Men yeah, um, Days yeah, of Future yeah. Past. Who was used so well in that? Uh, he was used it, by far the best scene in Days of Future Past was his one. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. And then they brought him into this. And he's not bad. It's just like, oh. I didn't even realize till the end that it was the same character. Right. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not the sweet spot in Marvel marketing. I'm not a rabid fan who just wants to see the Hulkbuster armor or, you know, the creation of Vision or whatever. Uh, I just want a good story, good characters, and some spectacle. And Age of Ultron just doesn't quite deliver that for me. Uh, the story feels recycled, overly dependent on MacGuffins and mind control, again, as an incitement. Some characters are treated well by the film. Uh, others wilt on the sidelines. And it's seldom a film that uses its effects budget to show me something on screen that I've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's surely the number one requirement of a special effects um, movie, you know? Yeah. No, and I agree. I mean, I, I think that I'm fast, rapidly moving out of the target audience for this yeah. And I've felt that way for a while now. Yeah. Um, not just because of my age or, or how I respond to films, but I also think because of the just the, the never-ending, um, like a wave of Ultron's army coming at me as superhero films. And yeah. I, I've, I've complained about this on there before. and That's fine. That's cool. Um, but I did feel that I liked the first Avengers. And this one, there was just nothing to really grip onto uh, emotionally. It felt very nudge-nudge, wink-wink. Yeah. There was some things I really liked. Like it made me go, I really like Captain America. And that's something that surprises me. Because before Avengers or Captain America came out, I was like, I could care less about that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And He's um, uh, Winter Soldier. I thought was a fine film. Yeah, and, and I his think, character. And I think Evans is very good as well, yes. in, in the role. And I think in this, he doesn't get lost in it, which is good. But uh, Emma and Black Widow is great. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, she was. She, was she, yeah. I mean, she does deserve her own uh, spin-off film. Yeah, she totally does. Yeah. I understand you're under a lot of pressure, but it's going to do me no good if you crack up on me like that. Take a couple hours off, all right? You just relax a little. Bit. Okay. See your wife. Okay. Should have shown me all the blueprints. All right. I'm serious now. Show me all the blueprints. Show me all the blue. Show me all the blueprints. <laughs> show me all the blueprints. 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 Oh, I want to get this done right. So show me all the blueprints. 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 Welcome to our top five, but sticking with our kind of artificial intelligence, robots runner, mock kind of uh, theme, it's five times the movies just didn't understand computers. As friend of the show, Darren Bevan knows, I'm not a Whovian. <laughs> but I've seen enough episodes of Doctor Who to know there are fixed moments in time that hold special significance, like the core of a planet that cannot be altered because it will affect all the other layers. And like the crust and mantle of surrounding films that really didn't have a clue how computers worked, they all stem from one year, 1995. It's cinema's bad computer moment. <laughs> Either it's the zenith or the genesis, I'm not sure which. Either films released in that year or made in that year could hold a solid top 10, probably, alone. Uh, my own beloved character, James Bond and Goldeneye, Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days, Denzel chasing Russell Crowe's Digital Evil and Virtuosity, Independence Day's legendary... Hack virus uploaded to an alien spacecraft, perhaps the finest example, yeah, is a film title Hackers, a film that infuriated its target audience so much, some of them hacked the movie's website to say how crap and insincere <laughs> the movie was. <laughs> uh, and God knows what they think of the actual technological processes in the film, but like them, here we shake our heads disapprovingly and present five times when the movies clearly didn't know or care how computers worked. <laughs> So my first one is Disclosure from 1994. I saw this not long ago, actually. And the film that addressed the terrifying wave of male sexual harassment by their female oh, bosses. You know, I was talking about this with someone today. Yeah, go on. Because it was a real problem in the 90s, wasn't it? Oh, it's it? totally. It was, yeah, it was terrible glad, for me, I know, personally. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they've sorted that out. It, it kind of has perhaps the best deleting file scene in history. 
when director Barry Levinson decided to visually represent the process of deleting files by Michael Douglas strapping on a virtual reality helmet, glasses and gloves to cumbersomely walk through a large digital library only to meet Demi Moore's pantomime villain visage in the virtual archive destroying evidence. Uh, what's hilarious about this is that Michael Douglas has to physically walk on the spot and painstakingly rifle through files as if he's in a real library sifting through actual filing cabinets, except with all the fluidity and speed of someone standing in a vat of strawberry jam. <laughs> so it just also struck me that in 20 years since this, virtual reality still hasn't really taken off in the way that you would think it would back then. Sure. And it may be because tasks like this are enough hassle to do actually in real life without having to recreate them in the digital world. <laughs> this sounds amazing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, this was on Sky not that long ago, and I just, I, I'd seen it before, and I completely forgot that that was in there. I always got stuck on the them being wowed by the fact they got sent an email. You know, yeah. it probably took yeah, like yeah. a minute to download or something. Right. Um, but yeah, that scene was in there. I was like, that's right. This is crazy. Yeah. I've got to see this film now. Yeah. It's, it's just, it just cracked me up because it's like, why would you create something that takes longer than it would physically to yeah. do? There are entire YouTube compilations devoted to the stupid ways TV shows misrepresent the way computers can analyze security camera footage. Uh, every zoom in and enhance, enhance <laughs> is my favorite, from NCIS's and CSI's and other acronym-based crime dramas strung to, together to create a montage of stupid. And yet 1998's Enemy of the State indulges in a special kind of ridiculousness Having a computer analyze footage that just doesn't exist, can't exist. Um, of course, this trope has kind of noble pedigree. Uh, I've railed against Blade Runner's impossible pan left camera direction when analyzing a still frame, which allows Deckard to go around a corner inside a photograph. <laughs> right, just think about this In a photograph, rounding a corner. Uh, but Enemy of the State should know better. I mean, it came years later, and yet there's still a scene where a computer geek studies a still frame and gets the camera to pan around a corner appear into a shopping bag. <laughs> it doesn't help that the nerd is played by Jack Black, uh, who keeps yelping, pan 75 degrees, when the image is like changing by about 120 or whatever they <laughs> wanted to do when they actually came to design it, you know? Yeah. He would have been yelling it out, and then they are like, well, it doesn't match up. We can't yeah, just whatever, we've already shot it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As some of you know, I love the Alien franchise. For all the series' second half insanity, I think the first two are stone-cold classics, and the third an underrated movie with a tight structure, great atmosphere and visuals, and unfortunately, horrific CGI. But I digress. The original was amazing, though, as I'm sure everyone agrees, and revolutionary in the world of cinema for visuals especially, and granted a set in future. But one thing that always bothered me was when the ship's captain, Dallas, asked Mother, the computer, to calculate the chances of survival against an alien life form it had never encountered. And the fact you can ask this question and get an educated response is bizarre, especially considering it wasn't artificially intelligent enough to be able to reason with when you had accidentally set off the self-destruct button. Right. So I'm just like, how do you have this information? How can you? How can you even totally, ask? A, totally. How can you even ask a computer? It's like the um, computer and the thing as well. You know that yeah. like calculates um, the, the time until the world will be taken over. It's like, yeah. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, it's the, like a Commodore sixty four or something, and you've just. <laughs> But also um, the computer and alien, and again, like such a wonderful, wonderfully designed film, is terrible. Mm. You know that it's just a room with lights everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's just a horrible piece of design in a film which is otherwise perfectly designed. Yeah, it's also like when you type in in, in certain films, there's one I think it's in Superman three, override security system. Right, D literally type that in, and yep. then it, it does it. Yeah, the next time you shut down your computer work, just type shut down. Yeah, that's just, right. Just type that, the keys shut down. Yeah, just type it into Microsoft Word. Yeah, wait, wait, Word. PowerPoint even should do it. <laughs> yeah. I've said it before, but films get away with lapses of logic for as long as they remain entertaining. Like stones skipping across a lake, as long as the story skims, then it avoids being sucked into the dark waters of disbelief. The Terminator is perhaps a perfect example of this. A film built over a vast chasm of nonsense. Uh, how exactly can a man send someone else back in time to ensure that he's born in the first place? What? Yeah. <laughs> Smartly, Cameron's film addresses this with a tossed-off line that perhaps not that's not perhaps not even necessary, uh, because we pretty much don't care. We've been entertained royally, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and even as Terminator Two continues to mess with the rules of time travel, I found I didn't care. Sure, the Terminators were now created due to finding bits of the original Terminator sent back in time from the first film. Mm. You know. But hey, when I'm watching set pieces as great as the stormwater drain truck motorbike chase, 
what do I care? But by the time Terminator 3 rolled around, (laughs) the wheels of logic were starting to kind of come off a bit. Uh, how much time did they really have to shoot Terminators back in history? You know, in the first one, it's like, we just had time to send out one man. It's like, no, you had a lot of time, as it turns out. <laughs> eh? You know, you had time to send Terminators all over the shop and, you know, yeah. reprogram new ones as protectors and just yeah. lots of time. And if they couldn't send guns back with the Terminators, why was the one in this film fixed with some sort of energy blasting weapon? What? Like, I thought the whole point was they couldn't be, you know, you, you couldn't send back complex machinery. Yeah. You know, it had to be encased in flesh or something. But the part that always bothered me was that the sexy killbot, and it's amazing it took this long to exploit the possibility of having a Terminator played by, like, you know, an attractive actress. But there you go. Also the ability to control other computers, which allowed it to take over cars and trucks. And I know that there are plenty of vehicles with computers on board, but this was 2003. (laughs) Yeah. And she was, like, hacking into pickup trucks and putting them into gear. Yeah. That's ridiculous. (laughs) You know, nobody's Ford Explorer from yeah. 2003 as a computer-operated manual gearbox. No. So how's she doing that, you know? <laughs> and even, even if she could, it's also ridiculous that she didn't simply end every car chase by just turning everyone's ignition off, <laughs> you know? Instead yeah. of having this convoluted highway chase with, you know, Arnie swinging off the back of the crane, just turn it off, walk over, kill him. Yeah. You know? Um, it would have made for a boring action sequence, but this was a rubbish film anyway. And anything that sped up its inevitable conclusion would have been awesome as far as I'm concerned. That is great. I mean, that's 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 I hadn't thought about that actually. I guess it's just like, hey, machinery. Yeah, yeah, it's all computers, just, eh? You know, just, as long as it's not human. Yeah, just machinery. Yeah, but if you're talking about a gearbox, you're actually just talking about like cogs and stuff. It's <laughs> yeah. not, there's no computer involved in that at all. Yeah, it's like using a computer to turn your um handle of your door. It's like, <laughs> why would there be a computer in that? It makes... That's great. Well, my final one for how Hollywood doesn't understand computers is a doozy. It is a film where the makers haven't even realised that they've not only anticipated technology, they've essentially created it. Tomorrow Never Dies, the James Bond film, uh, the resident megalomaniac Elliot Carver is trying to create a new world war so that his latest media outlet can cover it and get amazing ratings or something. Uh, He fires off newspaper clippings, brings up video calls, orders a pizza probably, Mm. all with a small rectangle in his grasp. Yes, he has a tablet in his hand a good 10 years before they were even released. If only he had focused on developing that technology, he would have enough money to finance million world wars for his media empire to publicize. He's essentially got an iPad in his hand in 1997. This is the way movies don't understand computers. The way movies actually yeah. uh, predicted the future. Yeah, essentially, yeah. They James predicted Bond, the, even. By, by over 10 years. They wow. predicted, they were just like, that would be a handy thing. That would be a handy thing. It would be. Yeah, and this is before iPods or anything have come yeah. out. Like Steve Jobs hasn't even got his job back at Apple at this point. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that was like, oh, you guys could have really made a lot of money. Contemplate this on the tree of woe. Okay, and uh, this is our favourite part of the show, your favourite part, the tree of woe. Uh, the, the, the time when we find something that's annoyed us in the month of cinema and hoisted up on the tree of woe where it can suffer for its cinematic sins. And um, Duncan, uh, what have you picked this month? Like springtime bringing the blossoms back, familiar leaves have returned to adorn the usually barren tree of woe. They are photosynthesizing toward a specific source of energy that the tree feeds off, that pure form of woe, the one and only Adam Sandler. Yes, the prodigal son has returned, absent for so long, and rather than one nail hammered in hand, he has a full fistful of spikes keeping him there because Sandler has a whole raft of crimes to answer, outstripping his previous achievements because the film that because the film that's getting him resurrected just to be crucified, like a reverse Jesus, is a film that hasn't even been made yet. The film is, of course, Ridiculous Six. Right, well, this is interesting because um, some months, almost nothing in the world of cinema happens to make me angry, you know? Not many months, it has to be said. My ire is pretty easily raised. <laughs> but this month was unusual. Uh, one terrible, stupid, obnoxious thing happened. And yet, you know, I didn't want to address it. I didn't want to talk about it. It felt easy, mm. obvious. And so I moved on. But this incredibly annoying, dumb piece of news followed me around, popping up on different websites and news feeds, until I had an epiphany. Sometimes fish are in barrels, Duncan, because they want to be shot. And so here I am also talking about Ridiculous Six. It's not often that we have the same thing on the same way. And in fact, I think the only other time we ever did it was the very first podcast we ever did, where we did... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Whatever that one was called. Just go with it. Which was an Adam Sandler comedy. 
Yeah, that's right. We both put it up on the tree of why. Nick Swarston, I think we actually selected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the last the only time until we've cut around to Adam Sandler again that we've agreed. <laughs> 43 episodes oh, later. Amazing. So it's a wild Western comedy hard on the heels of the underwhelming A Million Ways to Die in the West, a film that comparatively would be Once Upon a Time in the West. I'm yeah, sure. so, so it seems. But quality aside, Sandler's latest proverbial cinema insult is bordering on literal racial insult. Firstly, actors on the set complained of the script's representation of Native Americans. Then just a week later... These same actors were asked to apply bronzer on their face to make them more Native American-y, I guess. Mm. And not just Native American actors, actors of a diverse ethnic variety, actually. So now as a privileged white man on the other side of the world, I'm, I'm not getting outraged on behalf of anyone. I'm merely enjoying that a Sandler comedy has been accurately called out as lazy and offensive before it's even been seen. Yeah, it does seem that um, these actors didn't find characters like Nobra or Beaver's Breath, particularly historically accurate, perhaps, I can only think. Uh, also, an Apache woman who squats down to pee while smoking a peace pipe might have seemed a touch insulting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but look, more recently, in the last few days, there came stories that onset safety seemed a little iffy. I don't know if you caught up oh. on this. Apparently, Danny Trejo was menaced with real bows, knocked with real arrows. Wow. Now I'm prepared to ignore Adam Sandler making bad comedy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if the world turns. without saying. <laughs> hey, yeah. And look, I'm almost pre- prepared to ignore being a touch racist because... You know, I kind of expect that too, unfortunately. But when he adds that to trying to kill Danny Trejo, <laughs> you know, now I can't turn a blind eye. I'm sure Trejo doesn't need our, our help. I suspect he can take care of himself. But nonetheless, it's time that this whole ridiculous six mess spent a ridiculous amount of time, say, eternity, uh, spread eagled in the hot sun on the tree of wild, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, I just like the idea that, uh, of, that they have a bow and arrow that you can't tell is... Um you know, are real. real. Yeah. yeah like, like it's, you know, like Brandon Lee with the gun on set. Yeah, you know, they have prop bow and arrows, you know. <laughs> How can you not tell? You might just feel it going, oh, this feels a bit like a real one. Also, the cast and crew kind of throwing up hands. They kind of don't know where they stand on the matter. Uh, look no further than Vanilla Ice, who said, it's a comedy. I don't think anybody really had any ill feeling or any intent or anything. This movie isn't Dances with Wolves. It's a comedy. They're not there to showcase anything about anybody. They're just making a funny movie, I think. I don't have anything to do with it. I just play my part. You know, you can translate all of that down to like about four words. I need to get paid. That's five words, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to ridicule the contradictory backtracking, although it's probably the most that anyone's listened to Vanilla Rice since 1991. But <laughs> Sandler's part seems to remain quiet. Calling something racist does immediately create divides, and, and comedy in particular does require being given enough rope. Although often that rope is a tightrope. Now, who knows? This film could be a work on the scale of Blazing Saddles, a film that is full of offense and satire on both the building of America and the current attitudes of the time, especially towards race. But I'm sure Mel Brooks would have debated and intelligently defended himself. He wouldn't have ordered the protesting actors to leave if they were overly sensitive. Yeah. So welcome home, Adam Sandler. Welcome back to the Tree of Woe. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And so that's spoiler alert for this month, uh, the episode 44 yeah. for May. Well done. So what was your favourite film of the month? Oh, look, I mean, did you remember what the films I watched? So, yeah. so few candidates that I have to give it to Trance, uh, the twisty thriller that feared drip with claustrophobic style and featured brave performances from James McAvoy and especially Rosaria Dawson. Uh, because really, there was nothing else this month. <laughs> it was a terrible month for me. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I'd have to go with Sidney LeMay's uh, Prince of the City. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, definitely check it out if you get a chance. It's just really good. So, uh, next month we're doing something a little bit different. Duncan and I will review a film each, but the catch is we'll be choosing each other's movies. So, will we treat each other to an eye-opening cinematic experience or just punish each other with a malicious movie marathon? <laughs> uh, we're about to find out. So, uh, Duncan, what treat have you selected for me? Radio. There's a film that has appeared on my radar a few times recently. Yep. And a movie I've never tracked down until now. Oh. It's called Sweet Movie. Sweet Movie. Yep. A 1974 movie from the former Yugoslavia. A truly bizarre film that, like 100 Days of Sodom, is apparently an allegory of totalitarian rule. And like Pasolini's movie, this includes vomit, feces fetish, as well as child murder, kidnapping, and something called Penis Captivus. It has been banned in many countries, and it's all yours to watch, Simon. Or, I will give you a chance, a Russian roulette, if you will. Spurred on by my tree of woe and your tree of woe, you can relent from this degradation 
and truly cover yourself in filth with Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill, of which, alas, I do not have a copy. So you choose. Oh, man. Oh, this is like <laughs> Jack and Jill. It's, it's got Pacino in it. It's an Adam Sandler thing with Pacino falling for Adam Sandler played by a woman. That is almost, how can I say no to that? And yet, Sweet Movie sounds incredible. <laughs> like, amazing. Well, it could be a good double bill. So maybe you just kick back. Yeah. It'd probably be the first time anyone's ever watched those films as a double bill. <laughs> like, in the world, you know? Yeah. First and last time, I would suspect. Look, I'm going to ch- pick Sweet Movie because I've never heard of it. Right. And it sounds incredible. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what I'm going to get with Jack and Jill. <laughs> so let's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, I've got a sweet movie, and it's one. It's one. Just in the last probably few months, I've seen it crop up on a couple of lists, and I've just been curious right. about it, and I'd never really heard of it because it does sound yeah. like along those lines of like you know Salo and stuff like that, and I was like, wow, that sounds bizarre. Yeah. 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 So uh, I I haven't watched it, but I will get around to watching it. But I'd really be keen to see what you think of it first. Yeah. Oh, great. Look, man, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> for my pick for you, Duncan. You know, I talk a lot about how I'm going back in history and watching all these films from the 30s and 40s and all these ho- classic horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like a broken record talking about them half the time. Yeah. Um, so I've decided to pick one of these films that I love, but one I've never reviewed on this podcast. In fact, I don't even think I've really even talked about it except okay. just offhandedly. Um, so rather than hear me waffle on endlessly about how much I love these films, I'm going to hand it over to Duncan to watch and see what he has to say about 1943's The Seventh Victim. Okay. Excellent. Is that we no more information? I just I just sit kick back and watch it. Uh no, I can tell you it's produced by Val Luton. Oh right, yeah. Um part of the great RKO series he did. Awesome. He made uh, nine films, uh I think ten, nine or ten horror films in a row with his B division. Right. Uh each one I I believe in its own way, a stone cold classic. Some better than others, obviously the you know, I walk with the zombie and uh, the cat people, the top. But this is a wonderful little film. I really liked it, but I don't want to talk too much about it because I want to see what you've got to say about it. Okay. I want you to do my work for me. Okay, excellent. Well, so um, I get to watch something that you enjoy and I and you get to what, be something punished. That, something that sounds insane, <laughs> yeah. which I love. I yeah. love the sound of that. Maybe watch Jack and Jill first and then just to kind of cheer yourself up, watch this. If I'm watching Jack and Jill, <laughs> I'm watching it with you. <laughs> okay. okay. Good to know. Uh, well, that's us. Spoiler at 44. Um, so we'll see you next month. So the song we're going out to is, uh, I spoke about it before, it's from Good Vibrations, the movie. Uh, it's called Teenage Kicks by The Undertones. So thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll yep. see you next month for uh, the Spoiler Alert movie challenge. Right, look forward to it. so hard to Every time she walks down the street She was mad, she looks so good I wanna hold her, wanna hold her tight Get teenage kicks right through the night I'm gonna call her on the telephone Have her over cause I'm all alone I need excitement, oh I need it bad And it's the best I've ever had I wanna hold her, wanna hold her tight Get teenage kicks right through Reindeer games? I'm not Ben Affleck. You're white? Then you Ben Affleck.